If you're a pastor or church leader, I'm sure at times it can feel overwhelming to see the amount of people in your congregation who are walking through pain and crisis right now. I wish it weren't true, but the common denominator of life is pain. And as a pastor myself, I know firsthand that another unfortunate common denominator is that pain tends to derail people in your congregation from moving with you on mission and purpose. The enemy's tactics have always been to neutralize our God-given purpose within the local church, and he frequently uses tragedy and trauma to do it. If you're like most pastors, you probably feel like you don't have the resources, staffing, bandwidth, or curriculum to address all the pain points in your church, which is why we want to bring the Pain to Purpose course to your local congregation. We developed this course as a pathway to come alongside you, help people heal inside the context of their own spiritual community, and release them back on mission within your local church. When my late wife Amanda was murdered in 2015, I wish someone had laid out a pathway that was this clear to help me and the members of our congregation move from pain to purpose. After tens of thousands of dollars spent on counseling for me and my staff, hundreds of hours of interviewing others who have walked through pain on this podcast, and dozens of hours of reading and researching everything I could get my hands on, we've finally created that pathway. And we'd love to come alongside you to bring it to your congregation in a way that's extremely affordable. If you're interested in finding out more about the Pain to Purpose course, head over to mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. I truly believe and have witnessed it firsthand that what the enemy means for evil, God wants to use to catalyze a renewed and even stronger sense of purpose within the members of your congregation. So again, if you'd like us to partner with you to make that happen, head over to mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. That's mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host, and joining us our co-host Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey, hello, this is hello. the last week of our addiction series. This has been an incredible series. It's been it's been awesome. Uh, if you are just now tuning in, over the past now this is the fourth week. So over the last three weeks, we've been doing a series on addiction, talking about addiction recovery. We've heard some from incredible some incredible um, guests: Seth Haynes, Steve Arterburn, Alan Cothran. Today we have a conversation with Michelle and Corey Joy, and um, this one is unique in that it's a a story of a, a a mother and a father who lost a son to an addiction and to an overdose. Yeah, and it's pretty fresh when they're telling this story. Yeah, and so you know, oftentimes we have people who are kind of years removed from their tragedy. They you know, I've spent a lot of time processing it and articulating it. And so what we like to do is we like to talk to people sometimes when it's pretty raw as well, because we know many of you guys are experiencing the raw emotion of being in the midst of your tragedy right now. And we feel like it can relate on a completely different level. Yeah. Um, but we just want to prepare you for the, the heaviness of this. I do appreciate their willingness to be so vulnerable in the heart of what is obviously still quite a grief journey for them. Yeah. And um, I do think that's a good, that's a good word that it, there is some heaviness here. And I think it, for any parent that is parenting 
hmm. an addict or has lost a child. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no pain like that period. There's yeah. just, you know, and yeah. then, um, the loss of a child period, but then the next level loss of losing a child to addiction yeah. and to yeah. overdose, I think is quite a unique yeah. pain that, um, I know Michelle and Corey's story is going to be really powerful. I don't know about you, Davey, but in our experience as, um, pastors, Kevin and I have done not a lot of funerals of addicts, but we did one a few years ago that has stuck in my mind because he was a young man in his early twenties. Mm. And, um, it was a, a deeply difficult funeral one, because you're grieving, not just the life lost, but the life that could have been Yeah, right. had wow. he not struggled with this disease and, and these, um, demons really. Yeah. But then yeah. I think the other like layer of grief for a lot of parents who are parenting addicts or have lost a child to addiction is like this family in particular felt some relief Yeah, because the struggle was over. And mm. you almost, I, I know for those parents, they almost hated to admit that out loud. There's yep. a sense of guilt, but yep. I think that's part of the reality is like now there can be some peace because we're not chasing after these demons right. again and again right. and again. Well, I think that that's true to, you know, our observations uh, when, you know, as we've walked alongside parents who have lost children to addiction is that the emotions are so complex. Yeah. You know, when in loss in general, the emotions are complex and there's a lot of right. things that you don't understand why. And that's why it's important to articulate those emotions that if you have a, an emotion that's confusing to you, don't bury it, don't stuff it because you're like, I don't, I don't know if anybody's going to understand mm -hmm. this. It's, it's okay if people don't understand it. What's more yeah. important is that you are, you're articulating it and processing it through really well, especially with a trusted counselor or yeah. a trusted mentor to be able to kind of put some framework and some perspective around those emotions and they can help you understand what is actually happening there. But, you know, we, we had an experience where a family in our church lost two sons to oh. uh, overdose within 11 months of each other. Oh, wow. And it was, it was devastating. Um, yeah. It was, you know, somewhat, I mean, not too long after losing Amanda. And so our church mm. just experienced these, you know, back to back to back tragedies. I preached both. So much the, grief. Wow. Yeah. Both of the funerals of these two boys. Um, I preached those and walked alongside this couple for a while as they were trying to process through it. And that's the predominant thing that I observed that maybe they didn't have the language to say, but the, the emotions were confusing. There was a yeah. lot of, uh, guilt involved and it was unnecessary guilt, but you mm. can't tell somebody, Hey, that's unnecessary. You shouldn't feel guilty about that because they right. do. And there's, you know, and, and it, it may not have been a necessary guilt. It may not have been something that they could have changed or, you know, but you feel it. And it's, it's this pervasive thing that kind of looms over you. And, um, it's just, it's very, very messy and very difficult, which is why it's so important Again, we've reiterated this over and over in the series to get in good biblical community yeah, where you can begin to articulate these things and bring them to light and apply the word of God and the, with the power of the Holy Spirit that can help you break through some of these, not just the addictions, but also breaking through the processing of the aftermath or the ripple effect of these addictions, that the Holy Spirit and the word of God are the best tools that we have for that. That's right. 
And just to have a safe space to say those complicated emotions out yeah. loud and and to be able to wonder, you know, you hate to wonder what could we have done differently, but right. I think that's part of the journey. That's part of the healing process. Yeah. And so again, just to be able to say aloud, we're having these feelings, we wish we weren't having them, but that somehow God is in the middle of that grief process, even as like horrendous as it is. Absolutely. Because nothing is wasted, yeah. right? Not even yeah. such a horrific tragedy as the one that Michelle and Corey are going to share with us in their interview. Really, Aubrey, when it comes to loss in general, you know, not just not just loss in this kind of a situation where parents are losing a child uh, through specifically an addiction, but really loss in general, everyone struggles with some sort of guilt. It feels like mm. I don't want to be over general, but I feel like that the that's one of the common threads of the conversations that I'm having. Right. I experienced a form of feeling guilty for, you know, several different things. Um, you know, why wasn't I there to protect Amanda? You know, yeah. we have their survivor's guilt. And so again, yes. just to reiterate, there are complicated feelings and we, you know, yeah. we don't need to we don't need to kind of beat a dead horse here, but I do want right. you to begin to articulate those feelings out, even if they feel weird or if there's shame involved with those mm. emotions. Yeah, I think that's a really good word that almost giving people permission, like you do feel what you feel in yeah. grief. And sometimes there are things that come up that you just are like, whoa, where did, where did that, did that come, come from? from? Why do I feel that? Yeah. 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 yeah, it doesn't but make any sense. Be... When I look at it logically, why I shouldn't feel that, but yes. I do feel it. Well, that that's part yeah. of... That's part of the process of healing. Yeah, that's part of what, again, God's invitation for you. Why am I feeling this? Okay, Lord, what are you saying in this? What I really appreciate about Michelle and Corey, as devastating as their story is of their son's loss, is that they do reflect on some of those complicated emotions Mm -hmm. and some of just the complicated um, actions that we can take after grief or in the middle of grief, some of the things we deal with. So I think let's go ahead and listen to their interview. Corey, Michelle, great to have you guys on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Great to be here. It's an honor. Thank you for inviting us. Well, you know, um, I know your story is a, is a very uh, heartbreaking one. I know it's one that, um, you know, it's hard to imagine it being filled with hope, but when I, Look at the two of you. I, I, and I've gotten to know the two of you a little bit. Um, I definitely see what God has done, and uh, I think it's a very cool thing that it's part of your namesake, joy. Yeah, <laughs> and that you're carrying true. you're carrying the joy of the Lord, even though you've walked mm-hmm. through some difficult things. And so I'm so grateful for you spending some time with me today, and I'm excited that our audience gets to hear your story, and I get to hear the the full breadth of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anything that we can do, we we definitely feel like the joy of the Lord has carried us in his mm-hmm. peace. And so anything we can do to share with others, we're we're happy to do. Well, before we dive into kind of the just chronology of what took place in, in your story, mm-hmm. would you just give me a little bit of context uh, as to what your family looks like right now? What do you guys do? How, how you know, how does what does life look like in present day? Absolutely. Um, all right. So we're we are. We're bored. We just do nothing. We sit around. <laughs> no, that's and, not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are no the opposite. We're busy. So uh, we we are pastors of a church uh, plant uh, that just passed a one year mark, 
And wow. congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so that has been busy. We, uh, I, I do work um, in an office in Indianapolis uh, three days a week as an estimator and project manager and leadership uh, development and things like that. And, uh, and so uh, our youngest son just graduated high school mm-hmm. and is uh, working and, um, you know, working on relationships and, and uh, <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, I know that's day to day. That's a, it is a, you know, when you're a pastor's uh, doing development and stuff like yeah. that, you know, discipleship and community building. And, yep. and then, uh, we're very involved. We're a small community, so we're yep. very involved. And so I teach fourth grade at okay. a local elementary school. So yeah. I, this will be my 19th year teaching in our school district. So, wow. and we also, um, through our loss started a ministry called do something. And so we are, we sit on the board of that. Corey is the president of that board and I'm a member of that board. And so, that is something that we do as well. In addition. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. You just mentioned that you uh, started this organization out of your loss. I would love to kind of take a, a deep dive back into the story of your loss and uh, where, where it started. So why don't you take us back and, and kind of talk through that with me? Okay. Um, you want to start? Um, yeah, Caleb, we, Corey and I got married. We were right out of high school and we had Caleb about a year after we were married and, um, he was an only child for 12 years. And as he got closer and closer to teenage years, I mean, he was a child that he was just very strong willed, very bold and, uh, often pushed the limits. And so there were a lot of challenges and, and as he entered those teenage years, he, started smoking marijuana and we, we found out about that. And there were times that he would be drinking and things like that. And so much of it we thought might be just normal teenage life. And so we would try to just work with that as we went. And he, he was very active at church and in the youth group and things like that. And so we didn't have like major concerns. I mean, we were concerned and, but things just kept progressing. And as there were life hurts that came his way, relationship things where we would see major setbacks and and some um, depressive behaviors and things like that. It just, it was just a progression that just kind of overtook us. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that, so that's through the high school years. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, when he graduated, he was ready to get out on his own and he did. And, um, uh, but it, um, you know, you, you watching a young person, a young adult, you know, figure out life. And, yeah. um, you know, I, from a personal standpoint, you know, the, you know, we did things, I did things when I was his at young. And so, you know, but my experience was one day, you know, the Lord said, stop. And, mm. and I said, okay. And, and I never did them again. And so, you know, having that understanding of trying to figure out, I, I couldn't understand. I was like, you just quit. You just quit. Yeah. Like you just quit. Um, and, uh, and then as his young adult years went on, uh, you know, we began to see ex- little things, you know, the, the, the markers, the signs of the various things that, you know, when it comes to drugs and, um, you know, relationship things. And, um, but he always assured us that he wasn't doing anything serious, you right. know, in those early years, he would be like, you know, he would admit to smoking pot and things like that. He's like, but all my friends are doing that and it's fine. And nobody's died from that. And so he was always reassuring us of that, but he definitely, he left as soon as he graduated, he moved out with some friends and 
he only came back a few times in in those years, you know, from graduating high school until the time he passed away. He had been living with us, though, for um, a couple years before he passed away. But he he spent a lot of time being away from home. And so we we didn't always couldn't didn't always seem didn't always know what was going on. But yeah. he you know, there were just lots of life disappointments and you know, then we, we found, we did find out that he was taking pills and he blamed that on a back injury and things like that. So there were always excuses and he was really good at making us feel like everything was okay. Well, and the, the pill thing, um, and quite, quite honestly was, um, it almost wasn't a huge shock because, and in his high school days, the, the pill party, kind of became a scene, right, you know, right. where everybody bring their pills, they throw them in a big bowl together, yeah. stir them up. And then throughout the night they would just pop whatever. And so, you know, we learned about that and we were like flat. We were like, Oh, what? Yeah. But it was almost like you get desensitized a little bit to the severity or the, um, the, you know, uh, what it has the potential to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and he did have the injury and he worked construction and, um, and so, you know, I, I do, I knew how hard it is on your body and you can't hurt your back and, and things like that. And so we, um, uh, yeah, we, we watched that and, and kind of how that process worked. And, and then, like she said, he did move in with us. And I think that when he moved in with us, you know, that's when we, be, you know, uh, he would maybe be around for a little bit cause he would travel. Mm-hmm. And we would see, we would begin to see things. Um, you know, one of the first times that uh, we watched him go through uh, a detox, we didn't even know mm-hmm. what he was doing. Um, in fact, is we we were under the impression that it was um, a very severe, like sickness. Like he, well, you know, I I thought he was dying. I thought he had some severe flu, and I took him to a prompt med and. I didn't go back with him. He's an adult and they, they had me sit out in the waiting room and he came out and I don't even remember what medicine they had given him. And, but he went home and he would get into a warm bathtub and then he would get in bed and he'd be like, mom, I'm freezing. Will you cover me up? And I covered him up and then he'd be like, will you rub my legs? And I would rub his legs. And so we found out later, months and months later that he told us, he told his dad that, that, he was detoxing from heroin at that time, but we didn't know. Yeah. Which when he said, when he told us that it made it, it it didn't make it better, but it at least answered a lot of questions. You know, we, we knew that he was, he'd be making money, but he was always broke, Mm -hmm. you know, um, always, uh, was in lacking in a need and couldn't do things. And, we'd be like, you know, man, you made this much money. And we would sit down and like talk about budget with him. And we'd be like, Hey, we're going to help you do some things. Yeah. And, you know, there was things that we would work on with him. And then once he said that it was like this, it's almost like you get kind of a punch in the gut. Cause you, mm-hmm. the fear of what the potential is, but then you're like, oh, okay, now some things make sense. Mm-hmm. And now we can actually approach them differently because yeah. I think before that it was just like, well, you're just being unwise, you know, you're being unwise with your money right? and not understanding that he's fighting the addiction and that yeah. he doesn't want to be doing these things. You know, he doesn't want to hold back and, and doesn't want to take from, he wants to be able to mm-hmm. be a, a self-sufficient adult. And, um, and so that was, that was kind of, a, that was, that was a real, um, I think that was a real eye opener in that, 
okay. Yeah. We have, we have, and then at that point in time, it was like, we just kind of kicked in and was like, you know, um, so. Yeah. How, you know, Corey, you just mentioned something about, you know, like even some of the choices that you made growing up and, uh, how one day the Lord got a hold of your life and you just quit. And that was kind of the philosophy that you carried into this situation, which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, there's so many stories of people who it's the complete 180 story. It's like, absolutely. But then there's also the stories of, you know, like what, what Caleb is dealing with here of, um, an addiction that has grabbed hold of them and, and relapsing mm-hmm. and all of this different type of thing. How did watching that begin to kind of open your eyes to the nature of addictive behavior, the nature of how, what, what a stronghold addiction is and, 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 and what it can, um, what, what kinds of, you know, things, even now, as you reflect back on it, what kinds of things that need to be done in order to try to break free from those things? Well, for me, in my mind, looking at it, I, I realize now how strong addiction is that it doesn't matter. Like, no matter how much you love your family mm-hmm. and no matter, I mean, he, he has a daughter and, you know, he had a little brother that he absolutely loved and adored and he'd get home from work and being with friends late at night, he'd come in and take a shower and then he would get on Hudson's bed with them and mm-hmm. they would play video games together. They would talk. And so I could see how much that he loved his brother and yeah. loved us. And, but the addiction was so strong that, it was like none of that mattered. And I think that was one of the hardest things for me because I was like, I, we tried to love him enough that addiction wasn't an issue. You know, yeah, like if right. we love you enough, you won't struggle with this. And yeah. if we show you how much we love you, that you can overcome this. And we've learned since that addiction is so strong that it overpowers them, that it doesn't matter how much you, you try to love them. It's, it's so strong. Yeah. And um, you feel very powerless in it because you're trying to do everything right. We posted scripture in his room. I would yeah. write scripture on whiteboard. I'd pray over his room and, and, you know, we just tried to show him how much we loved him and it just never seemed to be enough. Wow. Yeah. I think that, um, we really didn't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think until he passed, mm-hmm. I, I know for me, because of my experience, I based all of my you know, I mean, being able to say you have a daughter, like your daughter needs you, you, you've got to stop. I think that in, in the moment you, um, you kind of live in a fantasy world, like this won't happen. Like, um, you know, we, we've, I didn't grow up in church, so I came to Jesus much later in my life. And, um, but with that was this, you know, we've served, yeah. We've given our time. We've loved on youth. We've raised, you know, years and years of youth ministry and um, sending them out. And, you know, we live in a small community. There's nothing really big here. You know, there's really not a lot. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of great things here, but it's, you know, it's quiet. And, you know, it's kind of that thought of like, you know, I'm just going to live a quiet life. And at the end of my day, you know, that there will not, there, there won't be these great, big, huge, major things you read about. Yeah. And we, I think we thought we would get our miracle. Yeah. And when he passed away, I, that was one of my things was like, God, I didn't get my miracle. Mm. And I was very much thinking that because we had served in youth ministry for so long and had been faithful and, 
and you know, we're good people. And you, you think all those thoughts that you think this is, this isn't going to happen to me. This yeah. doesn't happen to me. And, and so I thought it was going to be part of our testimony of how we persevered and how we loved him and how we prayed and how we fasted and did all the right things yeah. and that we would get our miracle. And so I just remember when he died, I, I just couldn't, that was one thing that was hard to wrap my brain around the fact that we hadn't gotten our, what we yeah. thought would be yeah. our miracle. I, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak for Michelle, but I know for me in that season, you know, those, those two, three, four years where we really knew, okay, wow, we are really, this is an addiction. Yeah. This isn't just smoking weed anymore. Like right. this is serious. Um, I remember it wasn't that it was like we're pastors and you're making us look bad. Mm-hmm. It was it was unpacking the concept of we you know we were learning what um, everybody else's reaction that brings on the shame and the guilt. Mm. We were having to like work through that and unpack that, and we were um, we it wasn't we never I don't remember that it was ever this you're embarrassing us or you're making mm-hmm. us look bad. It was we. I think we were learning for the first time that the stigma yeah. that goes along with it is like you can't prepare for someone for that. Well, they yeah. say it's not a casserole disease. Like you know, when someone gets sick, they get cancer. People bring food. You know, oh, they bring right, casseroles. Right. And with addiction, no, it's like don't talk to them, stay away oh, from them, wow. don't let your kids go to their house. You know, they. It, it's there's so much stigma Be around very it. Isolating. And, Very isolating where when, when somebody has a surgery or like I said, cancer, it, people, they push in and they Mm. surround you with that love. And, and, and also I know people don't know what to say, you know, they don't know what to say. And, um, well, and we, we were, you know, it's that thing of like, you start, well, what, what, what did we do wrong? And, And then you know that you feel like people are looking at you going, what did you do wrong? Yeah. And, you know, and, and so we, I think for us in that season, we were unpacking all the emotion and all the right. knowledge behind that. I, when he passed, I think the rest of the, like, okay, wait, addiction is a lot stronger than what we think. Yeah. You know, right. not everybody has my story. Not everybody has that full 180 moment. Yeah. And in fact is, I think for the first time I was learning, okay, like hardly anybody mm-hmm. has that. Yeah. And that the addiction, this addiction is much stronger yeah. and we don't understand it. So we had to you know, put ourselves in, you know, in a moment with uh, people that could explain to us mm. the the severity of the, uh, of the addiction and the, well, the thought process. Yeah. And even today, I mean, three years later, you know, our uh, director at, uh, for do something, she still, I just had a conversation with her the other day, literally like three days ago, where she was unpacking something and she was giving me the mindset mm. behind this situation. And so we're, we're still learning still today. Learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I shared this with you guys, but I have a, a friend who uh, lost two sons to mm-hmm. overdose within 11 months of each other. Mm-hmm. In fact, I preached both of, both of the boys' mm-hmm. funerals and in our conversations in the aftermath of that, uh, the predominant thing that he was dealing with was guilt. You know, just that same question that you just presented right there. What, what did we do wrong? Did we do, can, can you, if you were sitting and talking to him right now, 
Mm-hmm. Can you talk through kind of your processing through all of that? I know everybody's situation is different, obviously, but I, I would imagine that's probably a pervasive question where that couples and people that sit in your situation that they ask and uh, guilt is a pervasive emotion that they wrestle with. Can you talk to me about your journey through that? For me, I mean, it's still an ongoing mm-hmm. process. I have to, um, I have to fight that torment that the enemy likes to bring to yeah. say, um, if you would have homeschooled him like you did mm-hmm. Hudson, if you would have, when you saw the signs of that, that deep rebellion, if you would have, pulled him out if you would have sought counseling, like serious, serious counseling at the time. So it's something I still wrestle with. And I know that I've had to just get to the place of saying, God, I trust you. Mm. I don't like this at all. And I don't understand it. And Lord, you're just going to have to help me with my pain and um, with the guilt. And so I have to give it to him. Um, Pretty much on a daily basis, I have to say, Lord, I just, I need you to heal my heart. I mean, even Friday night, I came home from a training and I ended up just going to bed and I was in bed the rest of the night because, um, we're going to, we have his ashes and we're going to spread, we're going to bury half of his ashes and then we're going to spread half of his ashes. He had a secret place that he would go to, to think and kind of decompress when he was really stressed out. And we never knew where that was. And we reached out to one of his friends who we thought knew and and he did. And he immediately sent um, like a pin drop on a map where it is. And so it's here in the County and, and it really wrecked me, you know, and I thought about all the times that he would go there and think, and I'm like, could I have done more? And, and so it's something the enemy wants to heap on you and continually holds you in bondage to. And so for me, it's, coming to the realization that I'm never going to understand. And I, I couldn't save them. And I would say that to my friends right after it happened. I'm like, I just wanted to save him. And I, I worked really hard trying to save him. And I mean, I would bring him food and I would, um, text him every day to let him know Mm. that how much I loved him. And, and so I think that's been the biggest guilt is I couldn't save him. Yeah. And I've had to come to the realization that the Lord is his savior yeah. and I'm not his savior. And so for me, it is still an ongoing process of turning that over to the Lord every day and asking the Lord to heal my heart and to give me his peace. And, um, and I have to stop asking the questions. I can't, I can't go there and just be like, well, what if, and why, and what if, and why I can't change anything that happened. I can only change from this point forward. And so I, anytime that there's someone in crisis that I can help, I mean, I'm working with a teenage girl right now who is in serious crisis and her parents don't know what to do. And, Mm. um, I'm spending time with her. So I'm trying to look forward and, and not look back, but it is a challenge for me. I don't know about for you. Yeah. I would say that, um, the, uh, you know, I would, what I would say to anybody, um, we all make mistakes as parents. Um, a lot of times when it's your first one, you're learning how to be a parent. Yeah. And, um, and so you, you do a lot of things that you think are the best yeah. and the right. And a lot of them are really good. A lot of times there are good choices. And every now and then you make some bad ones. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all guilty right. of that. We're not free from that. But we can't dwell on that. I would dwell on the good. You know, I know that. Um, you know, 
for the for the things that were um we we made a lot of memories we did a lot of fun things we did a lot of good things mm. um you know he knew i loved him and um you know i could i have, could have i done or said things differently absolutely uh, but i can't undo them i can't change them but i can encourage others you know moving forward yeah you know if you're in if you're in that moment where you're in that loss right now and it's new and fresh um don't bury the feelings don't hide them don't act like they don't exist you know don't don't be the stereo stereotypical male um you know puff your chest and we're going to carry this yeah. you know what there are moments when you just have a breakdown and you just Sometimes it's in the middle of a message on a Sunday morning yeah. in front of a few hundred people. Yeah, oftentimes. And it's, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you lose it, you know, right. and um, that's okay. Yeah. And um, let it be okay. Yeah. And, but, you know, remember the good things. Remember the, remember the good memories. And you've got to find the, the positive. You've got to find the good. And then you have to say to yourself, okay, this is where we are. Mm. This is, this is, I can't unchange it. I can't take it back. I can't undo any of that. Mm. So now what do I do? How can I be used to help someone else in their pain, in their moment, in their teaching? You know, we're, we're at an age now where we have a lot of our students that are becoming parents or, mm. or are, have been parents for a while. And so, you know, we get to honor it. It's not about, well, we made this mistake. Don't do it. But it's more along the lines of like helping them recognize Mm. how is it how do you think you're doing well and noticing when kids start to struggle and parents say you know should i take this seriously or what should i do and i'm like absolutely Absolutely. respond respond right now you Mm. know do everything in your power to respond and um so i just think too at the end of the day i know the lord gave him to us and Mm. i know that 100 percent and I know God knew the parents that we would be, and I know that we did the absolute very best yeah. that that we knew to do. Right, and I have yeah. to rest in that. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I I know that. Um, yeah, that that's what we would want to encourage someone, you know, to to be able to just hold on to the good and don't dwell on the bad. The enemy wants you to hold on to the bad and all the yeah. mistakes and all that, and and uh, it, it'll be okay. And um, time, time. Give yourself time and, and uh, yeah. Wow. If you have found yourself in a place like Michelle and Corey, where someone in your life is battling an addiction or in any type of pain, we recommend seeking out Christian counseling. We can't carry the pain of others without inevitably taking some of it on ourselves. If you don't know where to start, we recommend checking out a sponsor of this podcast, Faithful Counseling, an incredible online worldwide organization that provides virtual counseling with licensed therapists who are certified by their state's board to provide therapy and counseling. Faithful Counseling is designed as a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling, but would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you are seeking a mental health professional who is a practicing believer, Faithful Counseling may be a great option for you. Once you're matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, you can connect with them anytime via your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or even text messaging. They also have weekly group in our sessions where members can learn in a group environment with a counselor about various topics that we all face. Just to clarify, Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line, 
but it can be an incredible resource for you on your healing journey. Faithful counseling costs $65 per week, and financial aid is available for those who qualify, which you can apply for during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. If you sign up through that link, you will receive 10% off your first month of counseling just for being a part of the Nothing Is Wasted family. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. Now, back to my conversation with Michelle and Corey. You know, I want to, I want to um, kind of jump back a little bit uh, in your in the storyline, um, and and to the degree that you guys feel comfortable, I'd love for you to kind of walk me through a little bit of like the day when Caleb passed away, and kind of your immediate feelings and reactions there. Um, so again, to the degree that you guys feel comfortable with sharing that, yeah, um, I'd love to just hear some of the. Um, and the reason I ask this is because um, what I know to be true about our God is he meets you in that. Yeah. So that's what mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm trying to pull yeah. out in this question as well. I just would um, love for you guys to walk me through that that day. If I could start just um, two to three weeks prior to losing him, that's where I really see the Lord so strongly. Um, we the and we'll lead up to that that day, but you know, we had prayed and prayed and prayed and um, for him all the time. And he was starting a new job and he would, he was so excited because he loved to work and, but he just struggled to hold a job. And I remember this morning I got up and he was saying that he was going to be going out of town with his boss. And I said, Oh, well, who, who else going? And his boss was a local pastor Mm. who had a construction company on the side and he said this gentleman's name who I had actually had that gentleman's son in my class and he was in recovery as well and, but doing amazing. And I was so excited that, um, Caleb was going with these two gentlemen out of town that he was working with these guys and Caleb, even within the two weeks before he passed, he posted that he was working with two people who was making him, you know, just rethink everything mm-hmm. about God that he saw people truly walking out what it meant to be a Christian and loving and wow. they were pouring into him and they were, and they told us they were having amazing God conversations with Caleb. Wow. And, um, so my heart, I was like, we were on the cusp of something great. And we have found out since he passed that he told them that he was struggling again with addiction, that he had been, um, clean all summer. He'd been sober all summer, but that he was using again and that, um, but he was, he was going to change. He was ready to stop and he was ready to get his life together. And they were so encouraging and they paid him that Friday night, September 1st. And they told him, they said, be careful. You know, they, they knew, you know, they were giving him his paycheck and, and he was like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to get myself together. And so that Friday night he owed me a little bit of money and he paid me the money he owed. And then he didn't have his license. And so he asked if I would take him into Morgantown to get some food. And so I took him into Morgantown to get some chicken and he got some for his brother and he got his brother a chocolate milk. And, um, we went back to the house and had dinner. Like they ate together and, um, and then he said he was going to leave. And 
I kind of got um, just, you know, my stomach kind of sank. And I was like, because I was hoping he was just going to stay home. Yeah. And But he was like, you know, and I, I was kind of teasing around. I'm like, you know, make sure you behave. And he's like, you should have spanked me more when I was a child, mom. You know, he was like, you, you didn't spank me enough. And um, just kind of joking around. And then he left. I went to bed before he got home. He came back home. I was still up. Yeah, Corey was still up. Yeah, I was still up, and he came in, and we were talking, and he said something. He he had offered me this food earlier, and when he came in, he 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 was like, you know, did you eat the food? I was like, no, go. It's all in the fridge. He's like, oh, good. I'm starving, and we just kind of chit chatted a little bit, yeah. and uh, I think and he said something about he was going to go somewhere the next. He the was next day, to- he was going to for extra money, he was going to go to the church right by us that his boss was the pastor at, and he was going to paint. Mm. And so he was really looking forward to that. And he was just loving his job, loving his boss and coworker. And we just saw such hope in him and an excitement that we hadn't seen for a long time. So that next morning we got up and I always looked to see if his boots were there. Mm. I would look over and at the entry and see, and I always was like, really glad when his boots weren't there and he was at work. And so <laughs> I saw that his boots were there and I thought, well, that's strange. Cause you know, I thought he was going to go paint. So I went in and he was, Corey was sitting at the kitchen table working on something. And I sat down and we were just kind of talking what we were going to do for that day. And it was September 2nd, it was Labor Day weekend. And we were just talking about it. And I text or I messaged Caleb on Facebook and I just said, Hey, uh, you know, I thought you were going to go paint today. And, um, nothing, no, no response. And so I messaged him again. And then at some point it it showed that it was red on Facebook, you know, that had been red. And so I was like, okay, everything's fine. And, but no response. And so I went, um, in and I, I knocked on his bedroom door and he, where we were living at the time was kind of an office building it was on my mom's property. We were in process of moving back to Brown County looking for a house. So it was a glass door that there was a sheet on and you could see um, probably an inch or two from the bottom. If you got on the floor, you could see in. Right. I have pounded on the door and no response. And I went in and I said to him, the Corey and Corey's like, Oh, he's a heavy sleeper. I'm sure everything's fine. But I got anxious mm. and I was planning on staying home the whole day. And I went, I took a shower and he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm going to school. I need to go to school to work. And he's like, I thought you were staying home. And I'm like, I need to go. I need to go. And so as I'm getting ready, I would like knock on his door and then keep getting ready. And I just was like trembling inside. And, and, but Corey, he's so positive and usually everything's fine. And yeah. he's just like, it's going everything's fine. And so and he, and he, he always was a heavy sleeper. Yeah. yeah. I mean, heavy sleeper. So I got down on the floor before I left and that's the other, that's the vision that is very hard to get out of my mind. I got down on the floor and I looked in and, um, he had red, um, he had basketball shorts on and no shirt and he had his phone and it was like on him. Mm. And, um, I kept like messaging and his phone would go off or call and his phone would go off and no movement. And I, I kept trying to see if he was breathing and I would, I think I imagined that there was movement and, um, but I, I, I couldn't see his face. Thankfully I just saw his body. And so I, I left and which 
I know was not the right thing to do, but I, I was losing my mind and I couldn't articulate to him. I think he's dead. I couldn't say those words. And he's like, he's fine. He's fine. So I drove to school, which is four minutes away. And I got in school and I, I could not focus. I put my phone in the window because you just, I don't have service there. So I put my phone in the window and I started walking the halls and just praying and just praying and praying. I'm like, Lord, please let him be okay. Let him be okay. And I went over and checked my phone and Corey was like, I'm freaking out. He's like, I'm freaking out. I think something's wrong. And as soon as he said that I knew, and I stayed at school, I'll let Corey tell you his, his portion, but I stayed at school and waited for Corey to come and pick me up. Mm. And, but there was a lot that transpired um, from that, that moment. Yeah. When she left, I don't know. I I was sitting at the table and, um, you know, just, I was working on something and I don't know, it was a few minutes and then this sinking feeling kind of came over me and, you know, it was kind of like, I need to, I should probably go ahead and check. And I, and, and your, you know, your eyes and your mind, um, they play tricks on you when you're, when you're in that moment. And I did the same thing. I I didn't go beat on the door, but I, I did get down on my belly and I'm looking in, you know, and I can see him and I'm like, it looks like he's breathing. Maybe he's not, I can't tell. And then, um, I, at this point in time, I didn't realize the door was locked. You know, I was trying to observe his privacy and that's why we had the sheet up over the glass. Cause it, it was an office slash apartment. And yeah. so we were using a lot of the whole building. So, you know, to give him privacy, put a sheet up and, um, and so, but, you know, and this is the thing as, as a father that, you know, where you're, you, you sometimes are ashamed of your reaction. Uh, but I couldn't go in. Mm. I could not go in and and face the and, and like my gut knew, mm. but my my physical body could not walk in. And um, you know, I think that that's hard. Uh, that 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 was the hardest moment where I was sick to my stomach. Yeah. I knew, I knew, um, but I couldn't go in. You know, there was it, it wasn't even a thought of like rush in there and save him, you know, rush in. And it was, and, and so, um, I called, uh, my pastor at that time. And, um, I was like, I mean, I, I think he's, I think, I think he was, I think he's dead. I think something's got and And he was actually, um, about 45 minutes away or more. I mean, it was a pretty good distance that he was away. Uh, he was in his vehicle at the time. He actually, it was, it was just a crazy how God, um, he actually was close to Columbus. And when you drive from Columbus to Nashville, Indiana, mm-hmm. there's this dead spot. Every, it's a flat area. It's a straight zone. Everybody loses cell phone service. He talked to me all the way to the house. Never lost phone service. Wow. And, and that never happened. That never happened. Ever. And it was, it was, and he, and he kept me on the phone and he was talking and he just kept asking. He was like, he, he kept me talking, you know, and he kept me talking, he kept me talking. And then when he came in, um, you know, he, I, I said, I can't go in. I can't go in. He says, don't go in. I'll go in. Um, he actually was uh, a reserve mm. with the sheriff's department. And so, you know, this was something that, I mean, we had lots of conversations about the community and the county of, you know, the, the impact of, right. of over, you know, addiction and, and overdose and, um, those things. And so he had a lot of information. He knew a lot of things. 
Um, I couldn't do it. I still couldn't go in. Well, then he was like, the door's locked. And I was like, what? And so now I'm trying to find the key so I can get right. into the room. Oh. And uh, not only am I trying to find the key, but I'm trying to find the key without telling my mother-in-law what's going on because mm. I don't want her to like, I, you know, I don't need, I don't want her uh, to she freak lived out. On the she property. lived on the property. So I'm doing all this stuff without like being, you know, I'm, I'm being a real elusive. We, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, he goes in and he confirmed, you know, said he is, he's gone. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's that moment of all of the, I think your mind goes blank. Yeah. And, and yet probably a thousand thoughts went yeah. through my mind all to say, it was like, I couldn't think. And yet I couldn't unthink right. all of the things, all the possibilities. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, it's crazy how the enemy, you know, the only thing I could really think about was how I failed my son in his death. Mm. Cause I couldn't even go in the room, you know, and, and it was that thing, see yet another thing. And, mm. and so from that moment, it just, um, it all happened so quick, you know, at that point in time, because of what it was, because it was heroin, it was, a, you know, it appeared to be an overdose. They're concerned about fentanyl being in it. Um, that, and that's a very deadly substance that it can be on anything. And so he's like, did you touch anything? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause they've actually had situations where, so I'm fearful of what's around. I'm right. fearful of, you know, we have our son, you know, who's, a you know, you know, trying to make sure he's okay. He's actually asleep in the other room. So I'm waking him up mm. to tell him, um, which was just like, you know, to tell him your brother, you know, 20 feet from you right now is gone. Um, Michelle is at the school and trying to keep her safe and her emotions safe. And, um, and, and we have, you know, we as parents have had a lot of, you know, what we would call intense fellowship, um, about the, you know, just all of it. And so trying to, you know, she, she kept saying, do you need me to come there? And I'm like, Nope, you stay there. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, but, you know, encourage saying, you need to stay there. You don't need to see all this. You don't need to be a part of all this. Um, my mother-in-law comes up because now she sees what's going on. And, um, you know, it's one of those moments. It's like, you got all these visions in your head, but it almost spirals out of like the the sanity goes out. Yeah. And it's an, it's an, it's an, it's a moment of like, you feel like you're losing your mind and you actually have no clue. You're almost, it's surreal. And it's like, you're, it's like, you're just there part of the process and have no control over anything. Mm. And, and, and you don't, you know, because of the situation, because of what it was, you know, the several police, you know, they want the phone, they, they want help. They want, you know, they're right. and and, uh, and, and in that moment, trying to have rational thoughts, you know, right. yes, please take the phone. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm like trying to answer questions yeah. and yet, um, what are we, what are we going to do? And, you know, we, we, um, I'm like, I, we, you know, we got to go. We just have to, I mean, we, we got in the, we got in the vehicle with no clothes and no, no, I mean, we, we were dressed for the day, but well, you came and pick, he picked me up and we, um, went into town and we got something to eat and went, then we went to the church and our pastor, um, he, 
I can't remember if he gave us a credit card or he just said, no, he said just, just I had a card. He spend said, just whatever. Do what you got to do. And so we left town. We went to Cincinnati. Um, just with being such a small town and yeah. being pastors in a town and um, been a teacher for years and just knowing so many people, we just felt like we needed to, to get away. So we left for um, a few nights and went to Cincinnati. Wow. So that was Saturday. Sunday morning, our church, we 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 do we've always done a live stream and I wasn't planning on tuning in. Michelle, I hear, you know, in the other room, I hear the thing and um you know, for the church listening, I mean it our church was broken. Mm-hmm. I mean they they were beside themselves and we were watching and listening and they didn't have service. Our pastor announced he it. Didn't, he didn't preach. He, no. He just he let the people come up. And, and people came up and prayed and wow. and shared words the, the whole time. They wow. There was no preaching. Yeah. and uh, But in it, you know, that's where the ministry Do Something was born because mm. um, we, have a young, we had a young man at the time who did um, skate ministry, skateboard ministry. And, you know, he, he would get a hard time from the older generation, you know, talking yeah. about, you know, you're wasting your time, you need to get a real job, you need to do these things. And he just point blank was like, you know, you people, you're, you come down on, you know, this ministry. You know what kind of ministry it is? That's a do something ministry. Mm. And Michelle's like, that's it. I wrote it down. I was, we were in the hotel and I was in the bed just watching that. And I'm like, that's it. We mm. have to do something. Yeah. We ha- this cannot happen to anybody else. We yeah. have to do something. And so I wrote it down. And we had friends who drove over to Ohio, and they brought did, us some clothes. Brought us clothes and food, and they and he and Corey designed a shirt for do something. And the ministry was born in that hotel room. It, and it really, day. it really came out of that concept of, um, you know, we as Christians spend a lot of time talking mm. about the things you should do. And, um, in, and we also spend a lot of time judging and, um, not extending mercy, not extending grace, telling people to just, you need to walk away from your sin. You just need to give it up. You just, you just need to become a man, become a woman, become an adult. And, um, we can, we can tell a lot of people the things that they should be doing, but it, it really takes you doing something by coming alongside of them. Yeah. And, and saying, okay, we're, we're in for the long haul. And we don't want death to be the end result. Yeah. And so what can we do to partner, come along, point you, connect you? Um, you know, and I think for, for the first time, it was that the gospel has to grow legs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Man, guys, <laughs> I am so sorry. And thank you for sharing such vulnerability. Um, Wow. You know, every, every grief journey, every recovery journey is different. Um, I wonder if you can kind of walk through just a little bit, cause I want to, I want to talk about do something some more here in just a second, but I wonder if you can walk through first how that grief and recovery journey in the, you know, weeks and months and even couple of years of aftermath was for you guys. Um, because I imagine there was probably some level of uh, maybe anxiousness um, prior to losing Caleb that, or a thought in your mind, you know, what if this happens could, and maybe some 
preliminary type processing or preliminary grief, how did how does that play into how the you know aftermath, the grief and the recovery that you guys experienced afterwards? Um, I know for me, it it took a long time. Every time I would hear um, an ambulance or mm. the police in town, I would go. <gasps> And, um, when my phone would ring late at night, I would have that same reaction. And it took a long time to be at peace and rest when I would hear things like that. Mm. And so that was part of my process of grieving and, and just the trauma. There was so much trauma because we had almost lost him a year before. I mean, it was bad. He was in the hospital and the police, I mean, it was, it was serious. And so we, I, every day was, I was afraid he was going to commit suicide or, or die, or die some way. And so I think for me, the, the grief process after he passed was, um, just a lot of trauma every time I would hear a siren or see police or an ambulance. And, and then, um, one thing I struggled with is fear with Hudson, who mm-hmm. is, you know, now 18. And I mean, just such a solid kid who, um, he not going to do drugs. And, and he, he's told me, he's like, mom, I saw what Caleb put you through and I I could never do that to you. And I won't ever do that to you. And, um, but I parented out of fear with him. There were a lot of decisions I made out of fear over the last two and a half, almost three years now. And I would go to him and I would say, Hudson, I need you to forgive me. I am parenting out of fear. I'm so afraid of losing you. And he, he's so gracious. He's like, mom, I, I understand. And I'm so sorry. And there were times, there was one time that he was in the bathroom and I knocked on the door and he didn't respond Mm. and I lost it. I started beating on the door and he was like, he, then he responded and I was like, you can't ever do that to me again. And his dad talked to him and was like, you, you, you have to respond when, you know, and so working through and allowing the Lord to heal that yeah, trauma, I've, yeah. I've gone to some different women's events and, um, I, we put Hudson in counseling with a dear lady in Bloomington for a short period of time. We wanted to make sure that he had someone to talk to because he very much felt like he didn't want us to see him grieve because mm-hmm. he didn't want to add to our grief. And so wow. he, he's amazing. And so we put him into counseling and, um, until, you know, she felt like he was okay. And I've put myself into ministry situations where, um, I've had a lot of ministry, a lot of prayer, a lot of inner healing. And, you know, it's been a process. It's still, it's still very hard, but I can feel the Lord healing me layer by layer. There are things that take me back. There are seasons, there are places, um, shirts. When I see, um, young men dressed in a certain way that he would dress in, it takes my breath away. And so, um, I still, you know, if I see a man that has a beard with a lot of red in it and there are certain things that, um, you know, you know, I mean, it's a process and, but the Lord just really allowing myself to be in ministry situations to, um, to be vulnerable and open up and, and allow people to pray with me and pray for me and, I know that's been a really helped me in my grief process. Yeah. Uh, I think that grief process is different. Um, I'm, I'm not one, I don't bury my feelings. Um, 
I think it is definitely, it's different for a, a man and a dad. Um, you don't have a lot of men around you right. going, Hey, can we pray for you? Yeah. You know, um, fact is when you, I'm, I'm pretty open, I'm pretty transparent. My feelings are, you know, I mean, if I'm going to cry, you're going to see me crying, yeah. you know, um, you, you, you know, uh, and so I think a lot of times that's for others that's been uncomfortable. Mm. Um, in fact, is they're kind of like, we don't know what to do with this. Um, but they don't, they can't know because they've never experienced it. I think, um, you know, like she was talking about Hudson, you know, you know, parenting that there was, you know, there was one night when he wanted to go do something and my gut was like, mm. Mm. and I told him, I said, my, I need you to give me a minute. I need you to give me a few minutes because my no is out of fear, mm. but I, my heart knows that yes is the right answer, mm. but I can't, I can't, I can't verbal. I can't say it yet. And, you know, there were moments that I think that it's taken this amount of time to get, to be able to even say that. Yeah. yeah. I think that there were times when you, when you just, you just said no to something because you didn't even, it wasn't even a thought. It wasn't even a, no. A recognition I'm parenting out of fear until right, you have right. that, you know, your the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you, you know, you're operating in fear. Wow. Yeah. I've got this. Wow. I've got this. Do you trust me? Mm. And and you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, there are moments when you when you have the Holy Spirit ask you that question and you go, your first thing is, I trusted you with Caleb. Mm. And look how that turned out. Mm. And and then you have to process that. And yeah, the Holy Spirit right. says, Yep, yeah, I know. And I it's okay. But I think that that's the reality. You know, yeah. I think that being honest and being real through your grieving process, um uh, you know, there have been times that I Michelle's done a lot of ministry. She's had a lot of she's gone through and it's been and for for me, my healing process really kicks in when I know that she's healing. Mm. When I know that she is um, able to make a decision or a, approach a situation where it's not out of fear, yeah, then I that for me that begin that helps my healing process because yeah. I go, yeah. okay, she's good, she's healing, and she's not operating out of that. Because what I can't say to her is, you know, hey babe, you need to not act that way because you're being fearful mm. <laughs> because that doesn't help her. No. You know, that, that doesn't help her in the process. So I have to let her be her right. and I have to let her healing process. And as I see her healing, then I know as a husband, you know, um, as a co-labor in the kingdom, I'm like, okay, if she's getting healthy, yeah. I now am getting healthy because wow. we're, we're one. And, and so mine comes a lot through her. And then a lot of just realization and recognition of, um, you know, when I'm when I'm wrestling with the Holy Spirit, yeah, and saying, you know, that uh, those moments. And so, but wow. it's uh, we're two and a half, almost three years in. It's be three years in September. Be three years. Um, people that say, you know, time heals. Yeah. Um, that's a weird thing to say because it's not the time. It's the lessons learned and the ability yeah. to cope. Yeah. And um, you can approach a situation and not lose it. Right. You know, um, and so that does help. Yeah. It's, it's, but, it's the Lord, right? It's the Lord yeah. over time. It's like a God yeah. multiplied by time because time is a huge factor. 
It takes yeah. time. It's a process for all of us to heal. It, it, like what you yeah. just articulated, it was a process for you to begin to go, wait, here's the emotional response that I have toward Hudson uh, over this particular choice or situation or decision, right? Um, and, and for me to be able to now put distance between the emotional response and what I know is true and right, um, right. and that I can trust the Lord with this, it takes time to do that. Right. It, it, that doesn't happen overnight because the trauma has informed you to do something different. The right. trauma has informed you to say, no, you, you have a reason to fear. You have a reason to be. Right. But it's so beautiful to hear you guys say, and powerful to hear you say, over the course of time, as the Holy Spirit has done his work, yeah. we've been able to separate ourselves, distance yeah. ourselves from those immediate emotions. Not that we don't yeah. have them. We have them right. still. Yeah. But we've learned, we've got, we've got tools to now uh, utilize when those moments come up. Yeah. 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 Wow. So true. Wow. I don't know how people like do they, how people make it who they don't have the Lord. And I know that yeah. sounds like so cliche to say, but that's why we see so many broken people who then start struggling with their own addiction because I, in this, I have gained so much compassion for people mm. who don't make good choices in their grief. I remember when we were in Cincinnati, right after, you know, that weekend that Kayla passed, I found myself, I was in a store and I was actually trying to hurt my hands. I was pushing, um, on my hands as hard as I could and didn't even realize it. Right. And I was like, Oh my word, this is why people cut. Right, this is right. why they cut because there's so much pain inside of them. They don't know how to release it. And right. so they cut themselves because before we would have youth who would say they were cutting and in my mind, I'm like, that makes make sense. no sense yeah. to me. And I was sitting there, I was like, oh my word, this is why. And then I found myself, we don't, we don't drink. And, but I thought, okay, I could maybe drink just for a little mm. while. And, and that would help because I just needed relief. Right, and, right. you know, we don't, I didn't take any pills. I didn't drink and, uh, you know, and so, but I had such a compassion for people mm. who yep. do get a prescription for something when they're going through such deep grief or, you know, people who make other choices. And, and so I really had to lean in to Jesus. I was like, Lord, I, I have no coping mechanism besides mm. you and I need you, but I'm telling you, he, in the scripture that talks about how close he is to the brokenhearted and he comforts those who mourn. I I have never felt the Lord as close as yeah. in those moments, wow. that intimacy with the Father. And but the other thing that I learned is the enemy is drawn to trauma. Mm -hmm. And he he swoops. We see the yeah. buzzards yeah. out on the road yeah. when something's dead on the road. Wow. That's the enemy. That's and it. so he he knows trauma, he senses trauma, and he is he tries to be just as close. Mm -hmm. And and we have to realize that that in those moments of trauma, the enemy that's where he's looking for an open door to um, attach addiction to you or yeah. some unhealthy coping mechanism. So yeah. I know that I was so thankful for dear friends who I had one friend, she said, I am going to watch everything that you post on Facebook and I want to help walk through this process with you. And she said, because we can get stuck in our grief and then it's unholy right. that, mm -hmm. that mourning and grieving wow 
is holy, but she said, the enemy wants you to get stuck and then it's unholy. Mm-hmm. And she said, I am, and I know there's no judgment. Like she just wanted to watch. And she said, I want to make sure you're progressing. Yeah. And if I feel like you're not progressive, I want to be able to speak into that. And I said, you have permission mm-hmm. to do that. And so she's walked with me to make sure that I'm not stuck in my grief. Wow. That's so great. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about do something. You know, one of the things that I just heard you say is that this, this empathy began to develop inside of you, began to blossom inside of where you begin to understand why people in broken situations begin to make choices as they make them. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this has contributed to the ministry that you guys are doing now to step in and walk beside people who are in mm-hmm. broken situations. Can you tell me a little bit about the ministry and what, what your aim is with that? Yeah. Um, I can't, uh, I think that, um, so our, our heart behind the ministry is this, is that um, one, um, getting rid of stigma mm-hmm. and, and creating an environment of grace and mercy. And, you know, there was one thing that, one very large thing that goes back to how we handled and walked through some things. And it's, it's created a statement that we say often to people when we, when we first hear that they're, they first come to us and they're like, you know, I have someone in addiction or I, I think this is happening and you can tell there's panic in them. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, we, I will say to them, do not freak out on the outside, Mm -hmm. freak out on the inside. Because a lot of times with, with Caleb, (laughs) I would freak out on the outside, you know, because you, as you know, you think that this, if I just, maybe, maybe if I, you know, Maybe if I'm like angry enough or like, you got to stop, you know, like you're freaking out. And so, but that push them away. It pushes them away. And so that's one of the, and and that the whole thing about um, grace and mercy and, and changing stigma and taking away shame and also taking away isolation. Mm. You're not in this alone. Um, The enemy does want to isolate you. The Mm. enemy wants you um, to be, be able to be picked off. And so yeah. do something is really about partnering with people mm. and families, uh, that are in addiction, um, families of addiction or families in recovery and pointing them to, um, resources, mm. pointing them to, uh, ability to get help as well as hel- helping people be informed mm-hmm. that you can't, um, this isn't about being politically correct and don't say right. those words. Right. Th- this is, someone's son or daughter. This is someone's husband or wife. Yeah. This is someone's, um, you know, father or mom. And, um, it's a brother or sister. I mean, these are humans. They, right. they have value and they have life. And so our mission statement is do something partners with individuals, families, and the community to link people in need to the resources that encourage, equip, and empower them to live a life of wholeness and freedom filled with joy and hope. And so that all you're saying, I mean, that that's our mission statement right wow. there is, so we have a 24 hour, 24 uh, seven hotline that people wow. can call that any time of day. And we will link you to the resources that you need. We have a building that we've opened in here in Nashville that we can meet you at. We have there um, are different groups, recovery mm. groups going on there. It houses all of our resources and we have a director now who works part time there and so we're all about um, 
just being a place that's we thought what would Caleb need what would yeah, have Caleb right. needed he did not want us to know because he didn't want to let us down he didn't want to disappoint us mm-hmm. he was already walking in so much shame and guilt and condemnation that he to be honest with us he couldn't bring himself to do but if there would have been a place in town mm-hmm. where he could walk in where there were people who were um in recovery themselves yeah. and he could walk in and say this is what I'm doing what can you do? And there was no judgment, no condemnation. And they could say, let's get you in the car and let's get you here. This place has a bed open right now. You don't need insurance. We'll pay the $25 or we'll do this. And so that is our heart. So we, we work, you know, we let people know, I mean, if they have insurance where they can go, if they don't have insurance, our director keeps track of like all the open beds and, well, we, we learned that, you know, the, the biggest thing is when, when someone says, I'm ready, mm. they have a small window of time yeah. before they go, never mind. Yes. Mm. And so for yep. us, having that, just just having the entity so that so, when someone says, I, I'm ready, right. yeah. you know, we very, very rarely have we seen someone not make it into the treatment center, mm. not make it to yeah. the resource that they needed. They may not stay, they may may relapse, but we, we've been, we have a pretty quick response time to get people where they need to be. And so, um, it's, you know, I don't know, it's what Caleb would have needed and, and that's our heart. And so, um, we're not all about being the biggest nonprofit in the state of Indiana. We just want to have the biggest impact on our community and whatever that looks like we're okay with, we don't need to be famous. We don't need, you know, cause some people, They've really tried to, different organizations want to partner with us, which we love that, but we also are faith-based. And so often they want us to kind of compromise Mm, that faith-based part. And we're like, and while they may have money that would really help us, or they have resources that would help us, we really had to come back over quarantine as a board and our director. We were like, we've got to get back to what did God ask us to do? Mm -hmm. And it's okay if we're not you know, don't have a huge budget or something. Well, it it goes to, um, we don't have to have a dozen or a thousand programs and procedures. Mm -hmm. What we need to have is the ability to love on someone and point them into recovery. And have have a a few things that we do really well. That's great. (laughs) So we want them to, we want them to be free. We want them to live. Um, and not it's, you can't go to someone, you know, well, we lost our son. He died. Yeah. And you could too. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But what we can say is, is, you know, this is our story. Mm-hmm. We don't and want we it to love be you story. and we'll walk through this with you, no matter what that looks like. We're yeah. here for you. So, wow. That's even, amazing. even the hard things like, yeah, like, you know, uh, just the other day we had someone that was, you know, they're in, they're in jail right now. And we're like, that's where you need to be. Well, it, he was one of Caleb's best friends mm-hmm. and he actually came to the funeral. I'd never met him. And I knew the minute he walked in, um, and I got out of line and I went to him and I said, are you Caleb's friend? And he was like, yes. And I said, um, you, you need to get help. You need to stop mm-hmm. right now. And he's like, Oh no. And he was crying, but he and Caleb were supposed to go fishing that day and spend the day together when Caleb died. And so he'd been trying to get a hold of Caleb. And oh. so he went to recovery right away. And then he was doing fabulous. Then he relapsed. He went back to recovery and then he just relapsed again, and we've had um, five overdose deaths, and oh, he wow. he is being linked to selling 
um, it to them. And so he's in jail and he did, they, his wife reached out to get money from us and we're just like, no, he needs to sit in jail. So he's alive. Right. So, wow. And that, and that's hard for parents. That's hard for family members. Um, you know, that's, those are hard moments, but that's the things we want to encourage parents. We want to say, we know it's hard. It is so hard to say, you know, son, daughter, you need to stay in there. I wish that Caleb would have gotten arrested. Right. Like mm. he never got arrested for, you know, he, for that and going to jail for an extended period of time. And I, I wish that he, he would have. So, wow. but at the time I thought jail, oh my gosh, keep him out of jail. That's terrible. But yeah. it can be the best thing yeah. for some yeah. people. Well, and the other thing with do something is, is to help people um, really help them understand the difference between enabling yeah. and helping. And that um, because that's the other guilt that comes along with addiction oh, yeah. is is that, you know, everybody, you're enabling them, you're enabling them. No, I'm trying to save their life. Um, but the enemy tells you, you are, you are. And sometimes you do. Sometimes, sometimes you, you do. It's a fine line, yeah. but but there is a difference. And, and it's okay if you do enable sometimes out of your love for someone. Right. And But, you know, rather than feel judged in that, because I know we would, you know, if I gave Caleb food or something. So you're just enabling him. You should just let him starve or whatever. And I'm just like, you have no idea. (laughs) You know, you know, and help and helping people know the difference in like, you know what, give them food. They need to live. Maybe you don't give them cash. Yeah. Maybe, you know, like those wise things to do, like, cause you want, you you do. And so, you know, that is the heart is that do something will change this community. Yeah. And, you know, if we can model something for others, but for us in this community, small, tight knit is really kind of taking away that shame, taking away that isolation and really exposing it for what it is. Be truthful. Let's be honest. This is really what's going on. And and so but you know what? If you know someone, point them in a direction. Well, and we had um, a lady. She reached out to us who had been struggling with addiction and she said, Thank you for changing the face of addiction mm. in our community. We don't, we feel like we have a voice. Wow. We feel like we can reach out for help now. And, and that is our heart is just to change the face of addiction. Wow. Right. Right. So. Wow. Man, it's powerful. Wow. Thank you guys so much for sharing and your vulnerability um, and sharing Caleb's story and your story. And uh, I think it's remarkable what you're doing out of it that you're, you know, I don't, I don't mean to like, uh, use a pun or anything, but that you're doing something that you're, you know, that you actually are taking a step and you're modeling that and you're allowing God to heal you even as you are helping to heal other people. It's a a remarkable thing and really proud of you guys for doing that. Thank you. Can you tell us where we can, um, where we can follow, do something. You guys have a website. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that we can. Yeah, we, we do have a uh, website. The, the website is um, still under construction, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Facebook is the best place Facebook to find page. us, Yeah, um, which we have. A, it's called Do Something BC. Okay. That's in Brown County. Yeah. Do Something um, BC. And then our, our Do Something website is Do Something James 122, okay. um, which is uh, .org, I believe is what it is. So okay. I'll have to do a follow-up on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, that we'll make sure we link it in the yeah. show notes. So guys, thanks so much. This has been uh, remarkable. And we're so, ex- so excited for what you're doing. And I believe you're going to change the face of your community. I really do one life at a time. And yeah, um, thank you. you're, you're repurposing the pain that you've walked through. And so thank you for doing that. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you. Appreciate that. It's been you. an honor. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, moments like this is, is really great. Mm-hmm.
Well, I hope that interview uh, really ministered to you. Um, that Ooh. was, yeah. Wow. It's wow. powerful. Yeah. If it did, if that interview or any of the other interviews that we've had have ministered to you, if this has been helpful to you as you're navigating your own valley, we would love to, to hear about that. And, and namely, if you would do us a favor, if you would go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast, this really helps us to be able to gain some more exposure so that these stories can get into the headphones, the earbuds of so many other people, and they can derive hope and healing from these stories. And uh, so head over to iTunes, do that for us if you would. And also while you're there, go ahead and listen, download, stream all of Sleeping at Last Music. We want to thank him for providing <laughs> all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. So good. Amazing music. Um, and so we always want to make sure that, man, it's, I, I think it's, it's good writing music, Aubrey, right? Have you tried that it's, before? Oh, it's such beautiful writing music and thinking music. Yep. And if you just want to feel some things real deeply, turn on some <laughs> sleeping at last. In you just, yeah, that's right. Woo, just crank it up. Feel it. all the things. All the feels, all the feels. Absolutely. So thank you, sleeping at last. We would also love to hear your stories. If you have a story of purpose in pain or a way that God has shown up in your heartache mm -hmm. and you've experienced his hope and healing, and you can submit your stories at nothingiswasted.com slash stories. You can also read other stories of how God has shown up in people's really difficult mm -hmm. seasons. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, we would love to see you there. You can find us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow Davy at Davy Blackburn, and you can find me at Obsamp, A-U-B-S-A-M-P. <laughs> and next week we are out of our addiction series. So this has been a fantastic series. Thank you guys for awesome series. journeying with us on this. And we have a conversation, uh, that powerful conversation. They sat here in our podcast studio and shared their story. And uh, you're not going to want to miss this one. It is with Stephen Aaron Ulmer. So why don't you listen to a little clip from my conversation with them? Well, as we were walking, um, we walked into what um, changed our life forever. And um, there was a man that was laying on his side on a bench. And then there's another man that was standing next to him. And I knew there was something not right. I kept walking with the kids. And my son was up ahead with our little dog, thankfully. And then my two daughters were still with us. And my youngest... Um, daughter stayed with me as I kept walking and my husband and if you knew him he would you know would see what was happening what was going on and I just kind of felt uneasy so I kept going but when he stopped I stopped and the other man that was uh, standing next to this man laying on the bench um, came up to my husband and says I don't know what happened he just fell over and he pulled out a pistol and shot my husband then he shot me and then he shot my daughter